Chapter 4 Changed Without a Command In Christ there is nothing I can do that would make you love me more, and nothing I have done that makes you love me less. Hopefully you're beginning to see that dwelling on that simple truth of the gospel leads to organic, natural outgrowth. Perhaps you've already experienced how doing so has changed your life. The Bible gives us several case studies in how this works. One of my favorites is the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus went from being one of the most selfish men in ancient Israel to the most generous instantaneously without being commanded to. Meet Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was not a good man. In fact, he was a downright bad man. A wee little bad man. The Romans had problems collecting taxes from conquered cities. The people would buy and trade on the black market and evade the tax. A transplanted Roman official would not be familiar enough with the city's underside to know where all the real money was. So the Romans hired a native from the conquered city to collect the tax for them. Someone who would know where the money was hiding. The tax collectors were then given a garrison of soldiers to assist them. The Romans did not care how much extra the tax collectors collected for themselves. As long as they got their share, they turned their heads. As you can imagine, tax collectors got very, very rich. In other words, Zacchaeus' substantial wealth came from selling out his family and friends to an imperial foreign power. Zacchaeus evidently didn't care, however. He loved money. That's the only way you would ever consent to being a tax collector. Money had to be worth more to you than everything. Seriously, can you imagine a worse person? The Jewish, Jewish mishab said that tax collectors were so loathsome that they should not even be considered people. You were free to lie to tax collectors. It said because lying to an animal was not a sin. You can catch a glimpse of how unpopular Zacchaeus was in the fact that he had to climb a tree to see Jesus. If a short person wants to stand in front of you in a crowd, you usually let them because they don't really affect your line of sight. But no one moved for Zacchaeus. They hip-checked him right in the face every time he made a move forward. Hence, the tree climbing. Zacchaeus meets Jesus. But then the unexpected happened. Jesus looked up into Zacchaeus' tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house for dinner. What exactly was said at the dinner party, we don't know. But we know the effect it had on Zacchaeus. He said, I will pay back everything I've stolen four times. On top of that, he gave away 50% of his treasures to the poor. There is no record of Jesus commanding Zacchaeus to respond like that. In fact, Zacchaeus goes way beyond the Levitical requirements of restitution. There was only one time that you have to pay back four times, and that was if you'd stolen somebody's cow. Don't know why that is. Maybe you've you caused them utter financial ruin or something. And there is certainly nothing in the law about giving away 50%. Zacchaeus evidently just did it because he felt like it. New Testament scholars say there is a certain playfulness in the way Zacchaeus informs Jesus of what he's about to do. He's not like, O sovereign Lord, in humble response to your requirement, I will give what thou demands. Please accept my humble offerings and do recompense for the wicked things I have done. That tone of Zach's language is instead rather kid-like, almost like, Look, Dad, watch. Look at what I'm doing. Look, Dad, no hands. He's bubbling over with giddy generosity. He's tipsy on giving. 
He's not giving away money because he has to. He's giving away money because he wants to. What caused the change? Zacchaeus went from being a man who sold his soul to the God of money to a man who got a buzz from giving it away. What caused that change? The focus of the story is on how Jesus treated Zacchaeus, the sinner. Jesus called Zacchaeus down from the tree when everyone else shut him out. We also know that Jesus went to eat with Zacchaeus before he repented. In that day, to share a meal with someone was a sign of acceptance, even of intimate fellowship. To eat with someone meant that you were embracing them. The Jewish leaders understandably objected. What is he doing eating with a guy who is a known sinner? How can he communicate love and acceptance to that guy? But Jesus produced in Zacchaeus, in the moment, something the Jewish law had not been able to. Jesus looked at the wee little bad man in a tree, who was there because he was despised and outcast, and rightfully so, and gave him an invitation of acceptance and intimacy. That experience changed Zacchaeus forever. Every other religion in the world would have said to Zacchaeus, If you change, you can find God. If you change, you can find acceptance and salvation. But the gospel is the opposite of religion. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to you. You didn't go out and find salvation. It has found you. Zacchaeus was not changed by a command of Jesus, but by an experience with Jesus. When Zacchaeus tasted of God's grace, he was transformed from a man of greedy exploitation to one of lavish, exuberant, bubbly generosity. The law produces Pharisees, the gospel produces Christians. Unfortunately, most preachers still think that preaching the law in some way is how we can change our congregations. Do tithe, do give sacrificially, do downsize. Around the church, we call those do-do sermons. They give you a list of things to do and make you feel worthless when you don't do them. Preaching of this type might sometimes produce a large offering, but they produce nothing of real value in God's sight. The preaching of the law produces only Pharisees. They might be Pharisees who fast twice a week, tie their spices and cumin, and refuse to walk more than a certain amount of steps on the Sabbath. Or they might be Pharisees who give away lots of money, adopt children, and go on mission trips. Either way, they are only Pharisees. Their focus is on external change, while their hearts are filled with poison. They are immaculately obedient tombs. Give the Pharisees their due credit. They were quite zealous in their obedience. Many gave away lots of money. Some traveled the world in search of converts. They were always at prayer meetings and no doubt the first ones to sign up for volunteer teams. But they were also bitter, resentful, dissatisfied, and self-focused. And they hated Jesus Christ. God does not want Pharisees. He wants people who overflow with the joy of serving Jesus. Transformed not by a command of Jesus, but by an experience with Jesus. Like Zacchaeus, we will not be transformed by the command of Jesus. We will be transformed by the experience with Jesus. As I'll explain in part three, obedience to commands is an essential part of the Christian life. But the power for transformation doesn't come from them. The power for transformation comes from the gospel. We are changed not by being told what we need to do for God, but by hearing the news about what God has done for us. 
Thus, rather than enumerating a list of commands to obey, true gospel teaching highlights a story. A story about God that reveals such power and beauty that you are never the same once you have encountered it. If you've ever watched one of those epic movies, the plot is always basically the same. Take, for example, the 2010 blockbuster Avatar. You have some loser guy with no purpose in life, no direction, no courage, but then he's swept up into some great thrilling drama in which he experiences real danger and encounters real beauty and is fundamentally changed by the experience. In the case of Avatar, more like a creepy beauty with a blue tail, like a tall version of the Smurfs, he returns to the real world with a completely a completely different person. He is no longer afraid of normal dangers. Why? He's seen real danger and overcome it. He is no longer dominated by normal, everyday temptations. Why? Because he's tasted real beauty. That's what happens when you meet God in the story of Jesus. You get swept up in a story of such cosmic drama and beauty that you are forever changed. Your behavior is radically altered because you've seen and tasted something from a completely different world. Gospel change is the Spirit of God using the story of God to make the beauty of God come alive in our hearts. Having our eyes open to see our part in that story creates in us a love for God that is strong enough to finally drive out our attraction to other idols. The gospel cures us of fear, dissatisfaction, and pride. Paul describes this Zacchaeus-style process of change to his younger pastor friend Titus. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people who are zealous for good works. That's a pretty exhaustive list of righteous living, isn't it? Renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions, living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, waiting eagerly for Jesus to return. But how does Paul say we develop these things? What is it that trains us to do them? Bible memorization? Accountability partners? Being baptized in the Spirit? Radical devotion? Not that they don't have their place, but Paul points to none of those here it is the grace of God, Paul says, that trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Think about, Paul says, how the grace of God came into the world for you, pursuing you to the cross. The God of the universe gave himself for us, made us his own, and will appear again to take you home with all the glory and splendor and power that brought him out of the grave. When we get swept up into that story of grace, we will be zealous for good works. We will even long for his appearing. Very few people in other religions long to stand before God. Most are absolutely terrified by that. I lived in a Muslim context for a while and know that while Muslims are fervently committed to Allah, most do not long to see him. The idea of standing before him is terrifying. The gospel of God's mercy, however, creates a longing for God because we know that we are safe before him and we know the love he showed us in the gospel. We long to see him. So Paul tells Titus to preach to his people the great story of grace, 
because only then they will live rightly. He doesn't tell them to try harder or learn more. His focus is not on behaving, it's on believing. Threats, commands, and action steps will only change our behavior externally. Getting caught up into the story of Jesus changes our hearts. Preaching the beauty and unfathomable grace of Jesus. So how then do we compel true heart-centered change, both in ourselves and others? We tell the story of grace. We help them see what Zacchaeus saw. We actually have an advantage on the diminutive tree-climbing tax collector because we are able, on this side of the cross, to see the grace of Jesus even more clearly than he could. Why was Zacchaeus in the tree? Because he was despised. Jesus would end his ministry uh, hung on a tree in derision. Jesus called Zacchaeus down from the place of shame and into the place of honor and took Zacchaeus's place on the tree. The grace of God extended to us at the cross should blow our minds. We stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. There is no way to understand what Jesus did for you on a heart level and not be radically changed. Grace changes we little steaming sinners into saints of magnificent generosity. I hope you will worship as you pray. In Christ, there is nothing I can do that would make you love me more and nothing I have done that makes you love me less.